Welcome back to Limited Time Only, Episode 7. I am Hayden Dale of Arsenal Pass, your host of Limited Time Only. And as the name suggests, this is a podcast about all things limited in flesh and blood. Season 1, focusing on Outsiders Limited, particularly with Draft. And we've had a few great episodes already. Uh, This is Episode 7, as I say. We are, in this episode, rounding out our class deep dives, our look at how to draft the three classes in Outsiders Limited. We've had, in the past, Alan Lau, of Hong Kong come on to talk about Ranger. We had Chu Heng of Singapore come on and, and talk to us about Assassin. And in this final of this three-part class deep dive, we have Lucas Oswald of the US coming on to talk about Ninja. Now, if you're not familiar with who Lucas is, uh, well, Lucas just came off the back of a great run at PT Baltimore, ultimately ending up in 18th place, but was hanging around that top eight the whole event. Unfortunately, a couple of late losses in Class Constructed knocked Lucas out of contention, but went 5-1 in draft. Drafted Ninja the whole time. Bit of a rumor that uh, Lucas might be a Ninja Forcer, as Brendan likes to say. Uh, although I think I asked the question in the, uh, in, the, in the interview, in the deep dive, so you can make that uh, distinction for yourself. But just an amazing person, Lucas. And another one of these young guns, just 17 years old, tearing it up on the Pro Tour scene. Uh, we've, of course, seen Brody in the past, making top eight at, Bal- at Baltimore as well. It's really amazing to see, see these young guys out there, these uh, young players out there, making a huge impact in flesh and blood and doing really well so really excited to have lucas on for this episode now if you haven't checked out last week's episode with yuha breaking down pro tour baltimore and some of uh, top four competitor yuha's sort of learnings from baltimore and draft in general when it comes to outsiders limited then uh, make sure to go and check that out if you aren't already subscribed to the arsenal pass youtube channel make sure you do that as well drop a uh, like on this video if you are Listen to us on audio platforms as well. You know, leave a review for us. Those things really help, especially if you're on Spotify. Just gives us out there to, to more people and uh, we really appreciate it. If you're uh, as well on YouTube, maybe watching this video, drop a comment. Let us know, you know, what you think of these class deep dives. Should we do this again for the next limited set? Are they helpful? What have you learned? And maybe, you know, are you going to be a, uh, a Ninja Forcer? No, I mean, I joke, as you'll see throughout the episode with, with Lucas about this. But um, I want to say... With, with all this said, let's get in and uh, let's talk to Lucas and break down exactly how to draft Ninja in this Outsiders Limited format. Welcoming on to the pod for episode 7, I have the pleasure of being joined by Lucas Oswald. Lucas is a North American player, a another young player. We're seeing a lot of young players uh, making a splash from Flab, uh, Fab these days. From Missouri, 18th place at uh, PC Baltimore recently. Lucas, welcome on to Limited Time Only, and thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Lucas, for you know those that might not know who you are or, or not know much about you, maybe you could just give us a you know a small intro to to who you are and um, maybe where people might have seen you in, in the past. Yeah. Uh, so, like you said, uh, I'm from Missouri, in the middle of the US. Uh, I've been playing Flesh and Blood since Monarch came out. I've been playing competitively since Delzavaria. Um, I've been at most North American callings and U.S. national events since then. Uh, and I have been pretty consistent at caching these events. So, you know, if you're somebody who's interested in looking at the top 32 list of any of these, you'll probably see me, uh, even if maybe not in the top eight. Um, and yep, I test with the Fabled Runaways, um, and yeah, it's me. Yeah, I think me and, me and you, Lucas, I think we have, uh, you know, we're consistent. We, that's that's a good thing, right? Top 32s, top 16s, that's consistency, all right? So don't let anyone else uh, tell you otherwise. Keeps the DTIs alive, whatever. Exactly. I want to ask you a little bit more about, I guess, uh, you know, who you, who you test with. So you said... Runaways, who who's that for those that may not know? A lot of people will know, but for those that don't. And also maybe you could tell us a little bit about how, as well, you did prepare for Baltimore. What did your sort of testing look like for draft and CC? Yeah, um, so the Fabled Runaways is a regulation of 16 of the best players that Flesh and Blood has to offer. Um, we just recently... All came together. Um, some names you might recognize: Yuanji Lee, Fino Black, Dan Rakowski, Cody Williams, Earl's Dunn, Pat Eschke. I could go on. Most players are probably familiar with most of these names at this point. Um, but for this event, we did a lot of 
internal drafts um, and a lot of external drafts as well. Just practicing draft, going over draft logs, um, a discussion. Um, and then for class constructed, um, kind of a similar thing. We just got a lot of reps in uh, and a lot of discussion. I ended up going with what most of the team ended up going with, which was Lessie. Um, and then kind of most most everybody else on the team played old him. Uh, I think there was one exception uh, that played Dash, but everybody else played one of those two decks for this event. The one, just the one lone uh, individual striking out against the against the pack on Dash there. Uh, awesome. And, and what about from a draft standpoint? How did you prepare for draft for the for Baltimore? How, how many drafts have you done of, of outsiders? And I guess yeah, what, what does preparation look like for you? Yeah, um, so I did about 50 actual drafts um, for this uh, for this tournament uh, leading up to it. Uh, there was obviously a mix of local drafts, online drafts with the team, online drafts with other people. Um, a lot of what we did was we played more than just the normal three rounds with a lot of the decks we drafted. Um, if we thought a deck was particularly interesting or good, then we played it against each other a little more. Um, one thing that's really difficult about preparing for a draft is a lot of the times people think that they're limited to just playing three games with a deck they draft. So actually dra practicing draft, you know, will take over, you know, two, three hours just for three games. Um, but you can play games with decks that have already been drafted. Um, and that was one of the best ways that I learned all the matchups, um, especially in this format where there are six different heroes. There's, I think, 50. 15 unique matchups um, that you have to know and like knowing all of those is just incredibly difficult if you're just playing three games at a time in a you know, three hour span um, so that was a really useful resource for this tournament yeah I, I like that approach I mean I think it's I talked about this actually last week with uh, with Yuha on the pod as well that people focus on draft and then those three rounds and then that's kind of you know they walk away from the table and that's the draft done but there's so much more that you can be doing there's so much more to the draft i know for for leal when we were really trying to crash course and understand uh uprising we we didn't draft that much but we played a lot of games with like what we what we thought were like kind of stock standard lists or just changing a few cards here and there to try and understand what impact certain cards had uh and that was actually really efficient we found as well so i i really like that approach to, to testing limited and i think um people can take that away and, and do some of that themselves so uh what about at the at the pt itself what did you draft and what was your record across the the two drafts yeah so uh i drafted benji in both portions um the actual draft experience and the decks were vastly different um but going into the tournament i had this I think pretty unpopular strategy of try to avoid assassin if possible. Um, one trope that we've seen in limited in general and flesh and blood is usually when a hero is very successful in sealed, um, then that class will be overdrafted. We saw this with Tales of Aria and Briar. We saw this with Uprising Phi. Um, and I think we also saw this with this format. Um, the kind of rhetoric was that 4-2-2 was supposed to be the average split. Um, but I actually found that when everybody knew how to draft their seat and specifically how to draft Ranger and Ninja, uh, Assassin was not very successful uh, in 4-2-2 drafts. So if I was going to be able to get into a 4-2-2 draft, I really did not want to be the Assassin. Um, I felt like it would be much easier to attack Ninja and Ranger um, going in. And you know, obviously I ended up drafting into a time, so that worked. And what was your record? I know, I think you 3-0'd the first draft. Uh, what about the second draft? Yep, so I 3-0'd the first draft with uh, like one of the best decks I've ever drafted. That deck was very good. And then the second draft was um, not quite as strong. It was still pretty reasonable. Um, and I ended up going 2-1. Um, played against some, some pretty good players and kind of escaped, I felt like, with a 2-1. Um, but it worked. Yeah, I mean... Taking a five-one draft record at the Pro Tour is is pretty impressive, especially once you get into those later rounds. You know, hitting that hitting that two-one as you as you said to position yourself where you want to be, hitting into those final rounds. Um, so obviously, you know, big reason we brought you on the pod is to talk about drafting Ninja in in uh, Outsiders, and 
you know, obviously something that you're fairly experienced with and, and ended up uh, drafting both times at, at Pro Tour Baltimore. So I kind of just want to dive straight in and, and talk about, I guess, drafting Ninja in the set, you know, some of your learnings and things like that. I guess my first question for you is, uh, what makes you want to play Ninja in Outsiders Limited? I know you said you, you don't want to be the Assassin. That's kind of the first reason, obviously. But what other reasons are pulling you towards drafting Ninja in, in Outsiders Draft? Yeah, so there's a lot of things. Um, so the the big one that every other advantage falls under is you're better on offense. Um, Kadashis are really versatile. Uh, they let you convert extra resources pretty much directly into damage, um, which especially in formats like this where you have these good generic finishers at 0, 1, and 2 cost is really nice to have those versatile finishers. Um, things like the 2 cost cards can be kind of awkward in Assassin, for example, because it, they don't really work with the cost curve of your weapons, but Kadachis can you know, bend around that cost curve easier. Uh, also, since all of your cards have go again for the most part, uh, you're usually better than the other classes at utilizing four to five card hands. So if your opponent stumbles a little bit and has to block on a turn, and then they don't have an explosive turn on their turn, um, you can punish them better than the other classes. Uh, one weakness that Ranger and Azuri specifically have is if your opponent just locks you out and passes, you're you know you have this five card hand, and a lot of times you're presenting anywhere from five to seven damage on your five card hand. Ninja doesn't have that problem. Uh, Ninja's always presenting a meaningful amount of damage, um, and it kind of makes sense because your cards don't block well, so you're not as good on defense. Um, but in most ways, you're better on defense. You push hit triggers better. You push breakpoints better. You kind of get best of every world uh on the offensive side i I really like you just spoke then about this idea of being able to utilize your hand and it's something that was actually talked about a lot really early on in this format and i felt like it's kind of it drifted away for a lot of players as they kind of decided that you know the the format was like more of a 30 card format or depending if you're playing ranger or not that players were just trying to play the best decks they could and people started to focus on other aspects of the draft and i think it got forgotten a lot of things is like the ability to utilize your your four or five card hand is actually pretty important, especially in sort of mid game situations where, you know, an opponent could be in a, especially in like assassin mirrors. I found someone just blocks out and then you just sat there, like you say, in an Azuri deck and being like, I literally have to, I have an IP two this turn. I have these two dead cards and it's uh it's it it makes it difficult. Your opponent can really create these kind of pivot and tempo switching situations, which I found a lot in this format. So I've also found that when I'm drafting ninja, I much prefer that and I find it a just a bit more consistent, which is kind of where I want to be as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I had, a, I had a game against um, one of the players in the day two draft where he was playing Azalea and presented a really big one hit that wasn't dominated. And I looked at my hand. I said, here's all my cards. And then his four card hands put a sedation shot on the field for four and passed. And I was like, awesome. This is, this is exactly why I like Ninja because this would never happen uh, on Ninja. And it, it's a disadvantage that you don't have to deal with unlike every other class yep and we're going to talk about this more as we get through the pod you know about sort of key cards and, and strategies for drafting but one thing i really want to point out on the back of that is why in my experience so far three three block cards are so important in ninja for those you know the ability to do that blue three blocks even i'm sure we'll talk about some of the the yellow three blocks as well um and of course reds as well so i'm sure you've you've found the same for that reason <laughs> Love me some yellow three blocks. Cool, excited to talk about that. Let's uh, let's break down a little bit more about the two ninjas in the set. I know you drafted Benji both times at, at Baltimore. Why don't you talk to me uh, first of all? Let's let's start with Benji. You know, what are kind of the strengths of Benji as a ninja in the set? Yeah, so uh, I could I could talk about Benji for hours. I'm a, I'm a huge Benji fan. Um, I think he's the most versatile hero. Um, he is really good early game, really good late game, really good mid game, where some heroes struggle in those areas in this format. Um, one big thing as well that Ninja is going for it, and specifically Benji does really well, is in this format, going second is a huge advantage. Um, you know, in Ranger and Assassin matchups, if you can go second, it almost feels like it swings the matchup like 10%, even more sometimes. Benji is the best deck at going first. Um, and even though I usually tend to go second with Benji, um, you can usually leak somewhere from two all the way up to, I, I leaked eight in Baltimore against, uh, 
uh, in Azuri on turn zero, and it's like and no other hero, um, with the exception of Azalea, when she draws very fortunately, uh, can do that. So that's one strength that Benji has. Um, but also, not just turn zero, late in the game, obviously, once your opponent gets to, you know, two, four, um, they'll often just be dead to unlockable damage. Um, and then one final strength that Benji has over something like Katsu is, uh, actually, in a longer game, a lot of the time, Benji will get you more value than Katsu's hero ability plus the three life will get you. Um, because getting, I mean, Benji and Riptide are both my favorite heroes, and I like to call them the Iris of the format, um, because both of them have a hero ability that basically gives you one extra damage per turn. Um, which in a limited format where games can often last five, six, seven turns, that's a lot of value. Um, especially with breakpoints, with things like one-two punch, recoil, um, Benji being able to make these four instead of uh, three is, is a really big deal. Those are the best strengths of Benji. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm, you've kept it pretty succinct and kept it pretty, pretty top level, even though, like you said, you probably could have uh, rattled off a hundred different strengths for, for, for Benji there. Let's, uh, I want to ask you the big one, you know, the, I guess, you know, that Ira like ability, obviously you talked about that, but tell, tell us how important is that unblockable clause? Is it only relevant on turn one when you come in with a, a yellow two cost and then you double short and sharp them? Or is it, uh, which is, I'm guessing what you did, but, <laughs> or is it, is it, just as relevant, you know, at all parts of the game. Uh, so actually, just real quick, the the eight damage on blockable turn was even better. It was a uh, it was a yellow be like water into a blue jab into a yellow one two punch, and he couldn't block any of it. So it was, it was even spicier. I right. still got mad. Much cleaner. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but Benji's hero power is actually incredibly relevant through the entire game. Uh, one thing about a lot of the ninja cards in this format is they have really relevant. Things like Be Like Water, Deadly Duo, uh, Twin Twister even, combined with Back Heel Kick. Um, and Benji basically just makes these have the hit trigger every time. Uh, specifically, uh, Yellow Be Like Water and Yellow Deadly Duo um, get so much better energy um, because you look at them and they just always hit. Uh, you look at a card like Yellow Deadly Duo, it basically becomes a one for five um, when you combine it with Benji's hero power and... Um, it's hit trigger in and of itself. Um, and one, one thing in this format, specifically with Ninja, that I like to talk about is build your own great rate on cards. Um, you know, Yellow Dead Duo with Benji is kind of like build your own looking for a scrap, which talk about build your own looking for a scrap later with other cards. Um, but just giving you like this, this extra value of not letting your opponent block uh, with hit triggers is really nice. Another thing that Benji lets you do uh, with the unlockable clause is, like we were talking about earlier, where your opponent can't utilize their hands very well every time. Um, if you're Benji, you can often present completely unlockable turns or turns that the only thing they can block are, you know, Kadachis. And if you're playing against something like a, an Azalea or an Uzuri that really wants to block with one to two cards, essentially every turn, sometimes even more cards, in order to get full value out of their hand, if they can't block for more than one or two uh, over the course of a turn, you're getting more value than just the numbers printed on your hands, which is really good. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about Katsu, and I guess, first of all, one thing just wanted to, I guess, end on Benji with in terms of strength is a lot of people have said Benji, you know, makes bad cards good and that's the reason to play benji but do you think that's the sole reason like do you think benji can also be turning you know not only bad cards or average cards into good cards but also good cards into better cards and for that reason benji is just really strong yeah definitely um one thing that benji lets you do is it lets you play a much more even if you get a bunch of red cards and just good damage cards that people would usually think would make a Hatsu deck benji can let you play um without the combo mechanic um so let's say you're in a pod that didn't you know you weren't really able to get bonds or a whole lot of descending gust waves and surging strikes benji's hero power is still a hit trigger um that lets you get value with king, things like one for fours right spinning wheel kick twin twister things like that and so the additional value you get off of that even on red cards even on cards that your opponent can block is still incredibly relevant um and also uh even though you talk about bad cards, 
those cards don't just become like playable in Benji. Some of those cards become amazing in Benji. Um, like they be they become really really strong and above rate for what any other uh, ninja deck can do. So a big part of the strength of Benji is yes your bad yellows basically turn into reds, um, but also your really bad yellows can turn into really good reds um, with Benji. So there's definitely more than just putting chaff together and hoping you'll win. Benji's an actual strength hero. We should talk about Katsu as well. I know you're a big fan of Benji, but we should, we should talk a little bit about Katsu. My, my early um, kind of understanding in this draft, I drafted Ninja quite a bit earlier than I drafted much of Riptide or, you know, Azalea, even some of the Assassins. And one of my big findings was I wanted to be Benji most of the time because I really felt like I needed a properly powerful Katsu deck with a lot of consistency of the combo lines to have a powerful Katsu deck. Otherwise, I felt like my, like you said, the, the value on Benji was often just so much better. What's been your experience with Katsu? What do you think the strengths are with Katsu? And, and do you agree? Do you disagree with that kind of idea that Katsu needs to have a pretty powerful sort of consistent deck? So, yes. And, um, I think that I agree that I usually want to be going Benji. I think he is the more consistent hero, the more flexible hero. Um, and if you're just getting an average deck, especially if there are two to three ninjas at the, in the in the pot, I think Benji's probably the safest choice. Um, I also think, like you said, that Katsu's biggest strength is having a really good deck. Like, Katsu's biggest turns are the best turns in the format. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Uh, surging, Descendant, Bonds, 1-2 Punch is absolutely disgusting. Um, but uh, there are also other things that Katsu can do a little bit better than Benji. Um, there are kind of two archetypes within Katsu. There's the uh, combo Katsu deck that just plays, you know, a bunch of surgings, descendants, bands, as many as you can get, and plays this, you know, super aggressive plan where you're just trying to combo your opponent. But then there's there's also this deck that plays a lot more generics and a lot more blues. And specifically, this deck comes about when you have the early drafting pattern of getting a lot of generics, a lot of three blocks, and then what you can end up doing with Katsu is you can, like I said earlier, you can abuse the flexibility of the Kadashis with the one and two plus finishers, and you can have these really efficient turns on offense while also defending well, which is something that Ninja doesn't really have access to outside of that. And Katsu is better at doing that than Benji, because if you don't have all these poopy yellow cards in your deck, Benji's not going to get you as much value as Katsu is just having the three extra life. Um, and you can still play things like Surging Strike and Descending Katsuibu in the deck, um, but you have this alternative game plan, um, which is especially good into hit-trigger-heavy decks like Riptide or Array. Mm. Yeah, this is what we call the, uh, the, the Boomer Katsu. That's the Welcome to Wraith Katsu, that one there. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we talked a about strings and yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've talked a bit about strengths of, of the two heroes, and you've even just talked about some of you know the archetypes in Katsu. I guess when it comes to, maybe we can go back to Benji, when it comes to game plans and archetypes, is there distinct archetypes and game plans you have with Benji, or do you find they look pretty similar and cards are somewhat replacement level? How, how do you find it? So I don't think there's two archetypes in Benji, um, but I do think there's more of a spectrum. I think the two Katsu decks are pretty distinct usually like you know your number of two for sixes versus like head jabs are usually pretty different in these two archetypes but benji is more of a spectrum it's basically just how many red cards do you have in your deck um there are some benji decks like the deck that i drafted on day one of baltimore that have a lot of reds i had you know four red spring loads red looking for a scrap red seek horizon um, a lot of these types of finisher cards, and you're just trying to play a super efficient gameplay game plan um, and abuse things like Yellow Deadly Duo and Yellow Be Like Water that can actually be above rate, but only when you're playing Benji. Um, and then, you know, you have the other end where most of your deck is unblockable, which is kind of what I had uh, day two of Baltimore, where maybe the generics aren't as open. If, you know, there's a lot of arachnes at the table, things like Spring Load are much harder to get. Um, and this deck will be much more heavy with things like yellow twin twisters, yellow head jab, uh, one-two punch is a lot more important than these types of decks where you're just trying to get value out of not letting your opponent block. 
Um, you're much better at going first. And instead of playing a super efficient game plan, you're kind of playing to Benji's unblockable hero power um, and just hoping to sneak damage through and punish your opponents for you know, maybe not being able to use their hands as effectively. Um, I think every Benji deck is somewhere on that scale, uh, but it's really hard to say it's two different archetypes because they have similar play patterns. One of them just ends the chain with the spring load more often than the other one. Yeah, so more about the... I guess you and you kind of make that decision as your as your draft is going right. Like you identify card like one two punch. You know, more important to potentially a just overall weaker Benji deck, so those become higher priority as opposed to, you know, my decks coming together nicely. I have you know I got early twin twisters and, and spring loads and these these one cost cards. Now I just need the the cards that round that out. Some some blue three blocks and maybe some some finishes things like that as opposed to, you know, just like say on that spectrum kind of thing. Mm, yep, definitely. When we talk about archetypes, I want to ask you something I think everyone wants to know is what are the important cards? Obviously, you you named a lot of cards there, but could you give us kind of some of the, uh, I guess, the most important sort of early picks for you when it comes to getting into Ninja? And maybe that's different for, for cards from Benji. Maybe you could let us know about, about what those are. Yeah, definitely. So I think there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of cards that are just unplayable in one pro anime. Um, the overlap is going to be uh, the blue three blocks are the big one. Blue one, two punch, blue recoil, and blue back heel kick are, in my opinion, easily first pickable. Um, uh, like I said earlier, Ninja is the best deck on offense. So if you can also have really good defense in your deck, I think you're just going to have a phenomenal deck. So having these three blocks early is super important um, in any colors, but specifically if you can get blue zero cost three blocks, they're amazing. Um, also, uh, there are a few bombs in the Ninja class. Um, there are four that I kind of can identify. Um, there's Red looking for a scrap um, for obvious reasons. It's just a ridiculous rate, super easy to turn on. There's Red Spring Load, the best and most versatile finisher. Uh, it also has a lot of synergy with Benji, uh, specifically things like Deadly Duo or Short Term. Um, there is Red Descending Dust Wave which is obviously a Katsu card, right? <laughs> that card's amazing in Katsu. It's often going to be 0 for 5. Um, but then when you combine it with the other really strong card being Mask of Many Faces, um, you can, like I said earlier, build your own looking for a scrap, right? You can pay one, make your next attack Surging Strike, play your Descending Gust Wave, and you've essentially invested one resource and one card for 5 with Go again. Um, and even in Benji, this play is incredibly powerful. Um, it's a super good rate. It's basically a pivot turn on a stick. So if you can manage to get those two cards together, um, you're golden. So those are cards that I'm looking for early. I'm looking for blue three blocks. Um, and then like the more specific cards to the heroes, uh, things like yellow twin twister, yellow deadly duo uh, are much better in Benji. Um, yellow head jab and yellow be like water also generally better in Benji. Um, for Katsu, things that are more important, things like yellow surging strike. Um, I find that both heroes have the red surging strikes uh, quite a bit, but the yellow surging strikes are really only strong in Katsu, but they are really strong in Katsu, even as a yellow card. So getting surging strikes is really important, getting on the other end deadly duos, twin twisters, things like that. Is really important. Mm -hmm. What about... Um... Yeah. Uh, what about when it comes to bonds, all colors or just red, just blue? Uh, definitely the reds. Uh, you want the reds. Um, if you want the yellows, well, um, reds and yellows are both really good to play on offense, and they're really good to block with. I'm also a huge fan of the blues. Um, uh, one card that I'm a fan of in Ninja is Blue Come to Fight. Um, even though it doesn't turn on your Kadachis, just having three blocks is really important. Uh, one thing about this format is you often want to have one card in every hand that you want to block with, and then one card that you're okay blocking with. So having that card in every hand that you want to block with being a three block is really important. Even if that's a card that has like no offensive utility at all, it's usually still an above average card. So blue bonds is basically just better than blue come to fight because it has more utility on offense. Um, it can often be uh, you know a zero for five if you can manage to combo it, which is phenomenal. But the floor being a three block card is still just amazing. Uh, so I, I want all colors of bonds. Um, the red's the best one. I think the yellow's the next one. The blue perfectly serves. 
football, I think uh, it, I would consider it an above average. Okay. What about, you know, you said yellow Twin Twisters, but red Twin Twisters has been one of my favorite cards in, in, this, in this set. Where does, you, where does that kind of rank in your hierarchy? Yeah, so red Twin Twisters and kind of by extension red Spinning Wheel Kick. Uh, obviously, Spinning Wheel Kicks are rare, so it's going to be a little harder to get. But uh, these one for four cards are very strong. Um, they both, one thing about the ninjas is both of their heroes have a hit. Um, the first time an attack action hits, you do X. So threatening that on hit is amazing in both decks. Um, it's, again, I keep bringing this up, but builds your own looking for a strap. Uh, you do that with Benji's hero power with a for four. And then in Katsu, you threaten to surge something like a spinning wheel kick. Or, you know, if you have a huge hand, you can even threaten to surge something like a descendant against Swaver or Bond's Ancestry. Your opponent doesn't know uh, what's going to happen. So these one for fours, super strong. Twin Twister also starts the line into back heel kick, if you can manage to do something with that. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the one for fours are great. Cool. Let's, uh, I mean, we kind of already covered this, but I just want to, I just want to get in people's minds because i think you've talked to you know about your sort of favoritism of benji and, and how much you do like benji but just if you had to put like a rating on it how important uh are yellows and benji are they just by default they fall into the deck naturally or are they act are you actively looking i know you spoke about some cards in particular like be like water etc so how good are yellows and how good are these two or lower power cards so they're pretty they're pretty important um one Thing that benji does basically uh every game is your opponent will get down to some life total where unblockable attacks kill them and what you want to do is you want to defend with two to three cards and then throw one to two unblockable attacks back at them and ask them the question do you have a brush off or a peace of mind if no game over um and so having some density of these uh zero for two attacks in your deck is pretty important um at the same time you don't want your whole deck to be these um, most of them defend for two, and they're not actively efficient. Um, you just still need quite a few reds in your deck, um, because in order to actually get to the situation where your opponent's at two, they have to take damage, and it's really hard to deal damage to them when you're just attacking for two with all your cards. Um, but yeah, they're pretty important. Uh, like I said earlier, some of the best ones being Be Like Water, uh, Head Jab, uh, and Twin Twister and Yellow Deadly Duo at the one cost slot are a bit better mid game, a bit worse late game, but are still super important. Um, some of these turn on your combo lines. Some of these, like Deadly Duo, are just really good rates. Um, so yeah, yellows, yellows are pretty good. I'm even happy playing things like you know, Yellow Feisty Locals in my deck, um, mm -hmm. just because it, it fills out the role. It's not great, but it does what it's there to do. Yep. Especially having, the lower like I said end. earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely on the lower end. I'm, uh, I'm especially happy to have yellow uh, back heel kicks and one-two punches, because like I said earlier, three blocks are the most important th thing in Ninja outside of blue zeros. And so if you can have three blocks that fill other roles in your deck and are good cards, like that's it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah. Cool. It's kind of the golden ticket. Uh, got a few kind of questions around Ninja to ask you about. Um, you know, some more quick-fire questions, but... First of all, do you like to force Ninja at all? I heard a rumor at PT about uh, you potentially forcing Ninja. Uh, so, or do you like to? Do you prefer to stay open, but maybe not to assassin, as you kind of alluded to earlier? So, Brendan Patrick has accused me of forcing Benji in day two of Pro Tour Baltimore. These accusations are not entirely false, but it's not the whole story. Uh, so, so to answer your question, uh, I do not like forcing any hero in any format. I think it is a bad idea, and I think if you are trying to 3-0 uh, format consistently, which was my plan, hoping to 6-0 and super happy with 5-1, I was, I was really thinking I'd be able to do well, and I don't think forcing is the way to do that. Uh, I think it can get you two ones, but 3-0s, I would really try to stay open at least a little bit. That being said, uh, day two at Pro Tour Baltimore, I had a pack... That was, I'm going to, unfortunately, I'm going to go on a, a little bit of a tangent here. I think it's an important thing to go over for draft. Um, my pack had a yellow deadly duo. Uh, the other ninja card was a, some bad card. I don't remember. I think it was a blue one cost card. It had a blood rot trap, red infectious host, a lace with blood rot, 
a red withering shot and a red infect. So no matter what I took from the pack, I would be passing to my left strong assassin cards and strong ranger cards. Especially with the people's affinity for assassin and passing, in my opinion, the two best ranger cards in the set, um, people to my left would be playing assassin and ranger no matter what. The strongest card in the pack was the Red Infectious Host. Renan and I talked about it afterwards. He said he thought that was what I agree. Absolutely the strongest card in the pack. That being said, if I also pass the Yellow Deadly Duo, it is incredibly likely that I will create a Benji to my left, as that is one of the strongest Benji cards, and would be read as a signal to anybody seeing that. So I decided to take the Yellow Deadly Duo, tell the people I left, you play Ranger, you play Assassin, because there were basically four signal cards in the pack that told people to play that, and somebody had to take the Infectious Host. So I decided to pass that to my left and say to them, don't play Ninja. I basically, without one pick, I secured that my pack two was going to be amazing. Pack two ended up being amazing. Um, and so it, I did force Benji, but I let the pack tell me to force Benji, which I think is an important distinction from looking at a pack and just taking the best ninja card. I just recommend forcing before you look at a pack. But some packs, you know, like I said at the event to a couple people, some packs just tell you you're playing Uprising right now instead of Outsiders. Sometimes that's, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I completely agree with you on staying open. I think if you want to consistently do well in any, almost any draft format, at this stage, any draft format, and, uh, and be a successful limited player in Flesh and Blood, you've got to be able to understand how to, how to stay open, how to read signals, and how to get yourself in the best possible seat or the best possible deck for your seat it's it's so important to consistently doing well i think and um couldn't couldn't agree more on that one and also things are contextual right like you said yes stay open but in certain contexts it will be correct to you know to potentially set up a force now the the packs might have fallen differently for you right you might have taken that yellow deathly um deathly duo and then ninja gets cut from you and you might have a different decision to make right but at, at that time and where you are you know you make a decision and then things pan out for you so um yeah, it's a really good story. I'm glad you shared it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and my, my other draft at, uh, at Baltimore was I definitely stayed open. My, my first three picks were all Ranger cards. <laughs> I pivoted, mm -hmm. and it's, it's really important to stay open to a degree, but just understand how to read the packs. I think it's the, the biggest takeaway. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think that staying open means not taking class cards, but that's that's not true at all. Like like you just said there, right, Lucas? Like you can take class cards. What staying open means is not being not forcing, not being married to those picks. You know, if the signals say that you shouldn't, you should be moving off that hero potentially. Um, and again, all contextual. So I hope that's a you know a good lesson for for limited time only listeners and, and viewers out there. Uh, and I will be you know on your behalf telling Brendan to uh, pull his head in when it comes to uh, sharing spreading rumors about you, Lucas, about forcing ninja. Don't worry. It wasn't entirely incorrect. I did kind of. <laughs> this is a partial, it's a half truth. Uh, all right. Is it? Um, I want to ask you a few more questions. Like we said, uh, how many ninjas can the table support? Do you think? All right. So. Um, all right. So I'm gonna. So it depends. Um, the it depends on two things. Um, most, the first thing is it depends on what your definition of support is. Um, I think that there can be very good ninja decks that can 2-1 consistently if there are four ninjas at the pod. But I think if there are four ninjas at the pod and it is a 2-2 split, then it will be very difficult for any of them to 3-0. So I think my answer would be four. I think if you are, for example, the only Benji and there are three Katsus, I think you can 3-0. Um, but past four, it's really hard. Um, the biggest important thing for ninja decks in general is to get a critical mass of plus zero plus cards. And the easiest way to do that is to wheel the bad ones, things like blue brush off, blue ravenous rabble, um, blue scalpel periphery, and then blue seek horizon and blue infectious hosts are pretty reasonable, but those are also cards you'll hope to wheel. And when there are four ninjas at the table, those cards aren't wheeling. Um, so I, I would say tentative four. Um, 
really important to take the blue zeros early when there are a bunch of ninjas. And if there's another Benji at the table, and you know, let's say that the two good cards in the pack for you are a yellow deadly duo and a blue zero, it's going to be really hard to get both of those cards back. So, I, you know, if you're trying to 3-0, I would say three is is the reasonable limit, um, unless you get lucky with nerf. Let me uh, change the question up a little bit then, specific to Lucas. Are you happy being one of a three when it comes to drafting? And just say at the at the pro tour. You sit down, you end up in Ninja, you feel like it's somewhat open, you end up as a one of a three. Are, are you happy or do you really want to be one of a two to feel really good about, about being in, in Ninja? Um, I would be fine with that. Um, I really, really, really like to be the only person my hero. Um, that's, like, that's, that's a pretty big deal because like we said earlier, there are cards that both heroes only want. Um, I think if I was one of two Katsus, I'd be fine. Um, because the Katsu pool feels larger, you play better with the big attacks because you're less reliant on your hero power. Um, if I was one of two Benjis, I'd be a little more suspicious, but Benji's hero power can carry games. So I feel pretty confident to wanting. Um, and I definitely feel like I'd, I'd be able to 3 0 depending on why not for me. Yeah, I like the distinction yeah, of not necessarily about. Up being the the number of the class, but also the hero. I think that's really important, especially when you get to ranger. You know, I've I've been in three ranger pods, but I've been the only azalea, and it's been fantastic, right? So it it really it's not just class dependent; it's also hero dependent because, like you say, there's different cards that different heroes want, and um and that and that varies. Cool. Um, I mean, we've we've kind of come up, covered some of the stuff that's that's in our notes, but I wanted to get to before we get to pack one, pick one with you, Lucas, uh, as we always play on the list of time only, is just kind of... Oh, what's that? I, I didn't see the pack one, pick one. So I'm excited. Oh, okay, yes. you, you. I'm excited to see what your take is because we all, all know, apparently, you're a ninja force. So, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I want to, before we get to pick one, pick one, though, I want to talk a little bit about ratios quickly uh, just to help people out there who are looking to draft ninja or, you know, potentially find themselves drafting ninja at their road to nationals in the next few weeks or whatever event it might be to talk a bit about, you know, let's start with reds, yellows, blues. How, if you're drafting ninja, you can break it down by Katsu and Benji if you like. What kind of ratios of blues are you looking for? And um, is there like a, you know, if you're Katsu, is there a minimum number of like reds or starters that you're looking for? Um, so I'll actually start with Katsu for this one. Um, one thing that is different um, from this format from Uprising, I think a lot of people tend to think of Katsu as kind of similar to Phi, where you need uh, a certain density of you know these head jab type effects. I've actually found that's usually not the case. Um, you want some number of them. They're good cards. They threaten your hero power. Um, but with the exception of potentially starting combo lines, which the head jabs are kind of the weakest of the lines at actually starting the lines, um, they are basically just three points for a card. And so if I could get three points for a card, I'd really prefer it on defense. Um, so I think the most important ratios actually for Ninja are the three blocks and the blue cards. So I think in all Ninja decks, you want a minimum of eight to nine three blocks, but you will take as many as you can get. They're really hard to get. Um, so you, you, know, you won't be able to hit the limit, but some number of those. And then I think Katsu wants somewhere between nine to 12 blues. Um, and I think Benji wants somewhere from six to 10 blues. Uh, Benji makes up on the resource side a little bit because you have so many yellows typically. Um, and Katsu is also usually more resource hungry uh, because in Benji, usually the difference between a yellow and a blue is a Kadashi swing. But in Katsu, it can be the difference between a surging strike and not a surging strike. Um, so blues, blues are much more important in Katsu. Um, I think for Katsu, you want to fill out the rest of your deck ideally with all reds. I don't really think that there's a specific place that yellows hold in Katsu. But it's limited. <laughs> You're never going to get all reds and yellow or all reds and blues. Um, so I would say you, you'd really like your, your threshold of uh, reds to be close to half your deck. Um, it's usually going to be a little unrealistic to get actually half your deck. But if you can get close, like 12 to 13, that's probably enough. Um, you also you do want 
some number of go again attacks. Um, I think usually similar number around 12 to 13 is like your, your bare minimum, but you'd really like more. Um, cause like we said earlier, ninja's biggest strength is being able to have go again attacks. So if you can have those consistently every turn, it's pretty important. Uh, Benji's ratios, I think are a lot more important than Katsu's, um, because you actually want some blue cards, some yellow cards and some red. Um, I think Benji usually wants at least five to six red cards. Uh, you need some number of high power finishers to let you actually push efficient damage, not just, you know, have unlockable damage. Um, and then I think you usually want at least 10 yellow attacks. Um, you can cheat on this a little bit with some Benji decks uh, if you have, if you make up for them with the reds, but if you start to overdo your blue count, it, it becomes a lot more suspicious in Benji than it does in Katsu because Benji struggles to deal damage early game. And the biggest you know, culprit for that usually comes in the form of drawing too many resource cards. So getting your critical density of red cards and yellow cards that are actual red rate, things like red deadly or yellow deadly duo and yellow twin twister that uh, combined with Benji's hero power actually give you the rate of a red card. Having around half of your deck be cards like that, I think is usually pretty important. Okay. Yep. I guess, I guess, uh, the other thing as well is unlike Katsu, who can potentially turn these kind of excess bad sort of zero cost blues that you might draw if you draw two in a hand, the block two into, you know, a red combo card, for instance, Benji doesn't have that option. So you have to be a lot more careful about that. Most definitely. Most definitely. Before, last thing, let's talk about, I guess, matchups and, and sideboarding when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Ninja in this format. First quick question is, are you playing 30 cards? Are you playing more than 30 cards? And is it matchup dependent? Yeah, so I'm playing 30 cards with Benji basically every time. Um, I might go up to 31, 32 if I saw a lot of troughs pass and I'm playing against somebody that was like to my left or in the spot where I thought the brush offs might land. Um, but generally, I'm playing 30. I, I mean, the games, I, I've, I've never been fatigued on Benji. I've gotten close. Usually, like I said, it's brush off and piece of mind are the culprit for that. But generally speaking, uh, you can afford to just play your best 30 cards. It's, it's another strength of Ninja, uh, is that you can pivot to it later because you need fewer playables. Um, Katsu, I am playing 30 into the uh, Azalea and Ninja Mirrors, uh, as well as into Arachne. Into Azuri and Riptide, the more fatiguey heroes, usually trying to go up to 33, 34. Uh, although in any matchup, I'm willing to play 31-32. Um, Kadachis give you a pretty good anti-fatigue tool. Um, so the only time you're, you're ever getting fatigued in, in this format by something like a Riptide is if they're just pummeling you with a bunch of damage early and you're forced to block. So having those extra couple, like, you know, garbage cards in your deck that just block two and get thrown away is can be important, uh, especially against Azuri as well as Spider Spikes. But Generally, I'm not super worried about being fatigued with Ninja. You have great weapons. Your cards are super good on offense. It's you know, it, it's not a huge worry. Yeah, I usually find with Riptide the the issue you have is if you put in too many cards to try and avoid the fatigue issue, you just dilute your three blocks and uh, you get into too much trouble with your life total early and, and end up in a spot where you probably just either die or you do eventually fatigue, but not because you're you know playing extra cards. It's it's I mean it's because you're playing extra cards more than anything. Yeah, you were at one for 30 turns or whatever, and you just have to give them your whole hand and just die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess apart from that, is there any other cards that you particularly feel are like cyborg cards for any of the any of the matchups as as a ninja? Um, not really. I guess if I have brush offs, I'm playing them into Benji on either ninja. Um, brush offs is really good against Benji, and then like. If I'm I'm really low on peace of mind in range or uh, in ninja, um, I think ninja is typically a pretty exponentially powerful deck uh, or class. Um, the the difference between two cards and three cards is really big, and peace of mind always puts you on two cards in hand. If you get a peace of mind late, um, specifically like a red one, maybe you have a zero equipment, 
I could consider putting it in against something like uh, Katsu or Azalea, where you, you want to be blocking a little bit more. But generally speaking, I'm just playing my best offensive cards. Um, I guess there's, uh, you know, uh, occasionally I'll have, um, you know, some number of Peace of Minds in the board for, for Azalea, like I said, but usually, usually I'm just, you know, bothering with the sideboard. Um, Play the best cards. Play <laughs> the good cards. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's time for us to play pack one, uh, pick one, Lucas. Are you able to see the pack one, pick one that you've been provided for this segment? I am. Yeah, my, my eyes are seeing this for the first time. All right. Let's, let's take a look. Well, while you have a little deliberation about what you would uh, take, I'm going to read the pack for our audio listeners, uh, those that can't see it on the YouTube video. So this pack contains a red destructive deliberation, a yellow wither, a yellow Merkmire grapple, grapnel, blue spring load, yellow sedate, Red peace of mind, that we just talked about. Uh, blue backhill uh, kick, blue feisty locals, yellow sedation shot. Our equipment is seekers gilet. We have uh, a red short and sharp, a red toxicity, a yellow infectious host, and the foil is a hybrid card. It's red virulent touch. So a pretty interesting pack here, Lucas. I mean, there's uh, there's a real you know we have a a two 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 split. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, two 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 split in the. No, we don't. We have a five a five split. So this is a Japanese pack, just so you know as well, Lucas. Um, but maybe you can talk to us. What's the first thing you do when you open a pack? How do you like to look through it? And then, uh, yeah, just talk us through your pick. Um, first of all, I'm glad I did not get this pack at the Pro Tour. This is a very strange pack. Um, first thing I do every time I get a pack is sort the cards by class. Um, one thing that I'm looking for early is I'm looking to see how many of each class card there are. For example, in this pack, you said there's a blue back heel kick, a blue feisty locals, and a red shirt and sharp for a ninja. Uh, I'm seeing that there's a red destructive deliberation, a yellow wither, a yellow sedate, and a red virulent touch for assassin. Um, peace of mind is also fine in assassin, although I'm not, again, I'm not super high on it. Uh, and then the ranger cards, I'm seeing this yellow mark fire grapnel, this yellow sedation shots, and this red virulent touch if you are playing Riptide. Uh, and then if you're playing Azalea, there's a red toxicity. Um, so the first thing I'm seeing is there are a whole lot of power cards in this pack. Um, the best cards in the pack are the red virulent touch, the red toxicity if you're playing Azalea, and the blue back heel kick is a power card. Um, I'm also seeing that no matter what I take from this pack, I'm sending reasonable cards um, to my left for each class. Um, this, is a, this is a tough one. Um, I think I'm between the back heel kick, the virulent touch, and maybe there's a world where you take the toxicity or the destructive deliberation, um, but I'm not super high on Azalea. So I'm kind of worried about the toxicity and the destructive deliberation is just fine. So I think my my thought would be I'm between the blue back heel kick and the virulent touch. Um, if is there anything you want to say before I say what I would take? <laughs> the pr no, the pressure's all on you, Lucas. No, I mean I before you make your pick, then I, I can say my piece. But I have a question for you first, which is. You didn't mention short and sharp. Are you not a fan of short and sharp? You know, I know some uh, Benji players particularly like that card. Where do you kind of see it sitting? It's fine. Um, I so I will say I enjoy short and sharp. I think it's a good card. Um, I think that the destructive deliberation is better in assassin. I think the virulent touch is better in assassin, and I think that the back heel kick is significantly better in ninja. So I think short and sharp is a good card in Benji. Um, Push through things against brush off is really strong, and increasing your damage threshold with unblockable damage is good. But blue three blocks are premium, um, and so I, I think short sharp is fine. But I think I would take the back heel kick if I was going to take any ninja card. And I yeah, it was it was kind of a leading question because uh, 
I wanted to make a point basically about staying open and, you know, there's these cards that perceive to stay, to keep, to stay you open, right? So, you know, a short and sharp, well, that keeps you open to a ninja and assassin, right? But the reality is, is that there's, there's stronger cards in the pack and you don't have to be married to, you know, taking the blue back heel kick here or the virulent touch, but they're both significantly better cards and the respective decks they're going to end up in. Yep, most definitely. So, Lucas, what's the pick? All right, so I think with this pack, I would probably take the blue back heel kick. Um, staying on theme. <laughs> um, I think it is one of the strongest cards in the Nidok. Um, the text isn't super relevant, but a blue zero cost block three is really, really premium. Consistency is king with Ninja, so having the most consistent card is really important. Um, also, there are really not a whole lot of cards in this pack that I'd be sending to my left that entice people to go ninja. So while people to my left might end up deciding to go ninja, there's not really a compelling reason that the pack tells them that, oh, ninja is open. So the people to my left, when they see this pack, will not be super interested in ninja. Whereas if I take the Verilin Touch, I think it's strong in Riptide uh, and both Assassins. Um, I'm sending okay Riptide cards to my left, but since there are multiple good Riptide cards, I think that both of the yellow arrows are pretty reasonable. Uh, the people to my left will see that Riptide is potentially still open. Um, and then the Assassin cards that I'm sending to my left are not amazing, but again, they're perfectly reasonable. Um, and my opponents could see that Assassin or Ranger could be open with the cards I'm passing. That being said, if I take the back heel kick, it's pretty obvious that Ninja is not is, is at least one person to their right is playing Ninja. So part of it is because I think it is one of the strongest cards in the pack, maybe the strongest card in the pack, but also I think the signals that it's sending um, are going to be exactly what. I mean, we have a, it's a Japanese pack, so there's always going to be at least one class common. And if you get the one class common, you think it's a powerful class common and you can take it, that does send a really, really clear signal, which is, is not always easy in this format. And I think, I think a lot of people do overstate the kind of power of sending signals a little bit. Uh, but in this particular case, specifically, I, I think it's, it's a really powerful signal. Um, I think just, you know, kind of my, yeah. my general thoughts is I, I land some, somewhere similar to, you know, the cards you called out. I think that Yellow Infectious Host is also another potential sort of consideration for an early pick card. Um, but I, I think I would ultimately land on the, the Virulent Touch. I don't have quite as much an aversion to, to being an assassin as, uh, as you potentially do. Um, but I can also see, you know, the, this is a pack where there is a really good card that can send a signal and, and that is quite nice to do. So yeah, that's uh, pack one, yeah. pick one. Yeah. One one thing I think specifically is I think uh, my pick would also be swayed a little bit by when I was drafting this. Uh, I think if this was at a local armory, I would have more of thought to the virulent touch. Um, but at pros for Baltimore, like I said, I thought that the meta would be a little assassin tilted. So taking assassin cards early is right. Um, and then also I think sending signals is stronger at a bigger tournament where people will have prepared the format more and be you know, looking at the pack, just hoping that somebody tells them uh, what to do. That's actually something that I've ran into a few times at big events with drafts. Is people are usually very uh, sensible uh, because they're they're nervous and they just want somebody to tell them what they should do. <laughs> um, so I found sending signals is right. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. I think it's a really good good call out. I remember at, at Pro Tour Lille and even to an extent Worlds, you know, someone just opens their pack. They're like Necria that goes straight to the back for me. They ship it off to the person to their left, you know, like to they pick up the pack. Oh, there's a Necria. They're like, yep, I'm just sending that draw my signal left. Someone else pick it up. I don't want to be in it. Or here's a Spellfire Cloak. I don't want to be in Wizard. I'm a Fire Force. So here you go. Take it. Here's your signal to get into to Wizard or whatever. Um, it's it's <laughs> it's funny that way. I'd love to get one of those things. I mean, I definitely did it. Worlds. I got the uh, the the third pick, Spellfire Cloak, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm wizard. And on on day two, ended up as the only wizard at the table. So it was it was a profitable draft. I'll tell you that. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. <laughs> uh, Lucas, before we wrap up, just, I guess, a chance to say anything else you want to about this draft format in particular, you know, maybe dispel rumors 
again that you're a, uh, a a ninja forcer after that pick no of, of course not we had very good reason for taking back kick but anything else you want to say sort of any tips or big learnings you've had from from out, uh, outside this draft you you want to share before we wrap up uh i just want to say i'm in love with outsiders draft i think it's so much fun um all your decisions matter i think every hero is playable um i don't know i think there's like one small issue with the format i think the die roll is a little too important but compared to other limited formats it's definitely less important um i i think this format's great uh you know if if brian gottlieb is watching this for some reason keep up doing a great job um yeah no i think i think outside is great i love all the heroes um yeah great format those that want to maybe find you or interact with you at all, Lucas, I know you're on uh, Twitter. Where's the best place to find you? Obviously, uh, maybe a plug for Favorite Runaways as well for where people can find uh, your content. Yes, uh, I'll start with me. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Achilles2032. Um, there's a dash after the ACHOA, if that matters. Um, and then if you want to find the Runaways, we have a YouTube channel called Runaways, and then we have a Twitter account called Runaways, um, and then we might have a second Twitter account called Fable Runaways, but uh, those are the best you find us. Um, definitely check us out. We got some content going up and, um, similar to this, but quite different as well, actually. Um, and yeah, if, if you want you know, the, the other half of the Ninja Puzzle, definitely head over there and you'll find it yep definitely go check it out well lucas i want to say a massive thank you for joining me on limited time only it's been a pleasure having you on and uh for you to share your thoughts about ninja with uh, all of our listeners and viewers so i want to say a massive thank you and until next week that's limited time only we'll see you in the next episode